Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell, your humble host, and I am joined today by Grand Theft World's Richard Grove. Thank you for joining me, Richard. What's up, man? Hey, Clint. Thanks for the invite, and uh, I'm looking forward to this uh, spirited conversation about evidence, artifacts, the things that actually go on in reality. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm the conspiracy theorizer. Richard is the conspiracy uh, factualizer. He he actually brings the receipts to prove out all my harebrained theses. So I appreciate that. Um, speaking of harebrained theses, uh, let's start. I mean, as you know, I just talked to. Uh, I'm sorry. What's his name? Richard Gage. Is that right? Yeah, Richard Gage. He's my other favorite RG in the movement. <laughs> yes, and- uh, because of your name, it, it made me forget his last name. I was like, his, I think it was Gage. Uh, he was the uh, one of the, or actually the founder for uh, Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. And I had never, uh, as we were talking in pre-show, I had never really given serious credence to the controlled demolition thesis just because it seemed as if that would require so much planning and like, how could people actually have gotten in the buildings and done all that? And how could people not have noticed? And um I guess I'll, I'll just start there. Have you have you dug deep enough on this to have a have a firm opinion? I don't know that my opinion on these things matter, but I can certainly point out areas of fact and error in the official narrative. And I could also show you omitted data and evidence that exists for people to inspect for themselves and they can come to their own conclusions. Yep. Let's do it then. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm really I, I saw this video yesterday um, that was posted and it was of uh, WTC seven and you know as all my viewers and yours know uh, there was three buildings that went down that day but you know I think over half of Americans still don't know that which is just mind blowing to me um, but it was it was footage that I had never seen before and I don't know if it's real or if it's doctored so I wanted to ask you if it was uh, legit I'll try and find it so we can actually. Are you talking about the one from Twitter yesterday with the flashes in that building? I have not seen that before. So I was putting it out there to see if people said, hey, this is AI generated or this is other type of footage or this was later in the day. Uh, Yeah. So So you don't know if that's legit? I don't know if that's legit. And I saw other pieces of footage yesterday that I investigated and looked into it and they were easily found not to be legit. But that one was seemed to be new. And every now and then, like the past couple of years, there's been a couple... 9-11 9-11 drops of footage, right? So somebody who's had footage for like 20 years finally digitizes it and they put it out there. There was a guy last year who put out, it was called like Kevin's Tape or something like that. And it Dude, was- Dude, that was wild. Okay. So let's talk about that for a second because Tony and I went deep dive on that for a while to be like, what is this? And what are they telling us? And is right. this real? And that guy not only worked for national security, but he was Anglo-American national security and his retirement was over in London. So right there, when Tony and I got that far, I was like, this is the level of the ladder no one climbs. Like Burma said the other day, and I wanted to like quote tweet it and do something, but I was I was too busy. But he basically said 9-11 was an uh, international intelligence agent, uh, operation, yes, conducted by Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, and Israel, yes. But he left out the UK, our good time you know a uh, special agreement party that's always in our relationship and speaks the same language the mi6 gave 23 warnings to the americans before 9-11 very specific about osama bin laden and al-qaeda and planes as weapons all this sort of stuff those reports are never mentioned anywhere and when you figure out the mi6 angle it's like well they have a special relationship they helped to create mossad and they are the senior in responsibility history-wise, right? They helped to create ISI. They helped to create Saudi intelligence. They helped to create the Saudi regime in the first place through Sinjin Philby, 
Kim Philby's dad was an MI6 agent in the 1920s, and no MI6 sent him to go to Saudi Arabia to befriend the tribes, to go native, take a native wife, have native dress, native religion, really embed himself. And then he comes back to them and says, hey, Ibn Saud will take our money and do our things. And they're like, we can make him a king because of the divine rights of king. So now you have a king of Saudi Arabia. And that was for U.S. Anglo-American oil development. The Saudis wanted water. These drilling companies said, we will get you your water. But if we find oil, that we have a contract for 99 years on it. This Holy is the behind shit. the scenes on the whole Saudi relationship. And then the Saudis during uh, during World War II, they were fans of Hitler. They were fascists, right? And they uh, so basically those Nazi fascist Saudis in the next generation, they made those guys uh, teachers. And o Osama bin Laden was taught by one of those. <laughs> and this is his like direct lineage influence from MI6 operating Saudi proxy forces back in World War II. That's and kind of running that all the way up through Mujahideen and Al-Qaeda and ISIS and the rest of it. So so basically 9-11, Osama bin Laden, and uh, <laughs> that, that was blowback from 100 plus years, but that was blowback to MI6, not to CIA. I mean... I mean, it's a bit of a stretch, but it's like well, it, you, could, I mean, you could argue that. There's, there has been for over 100 years... Uh, a good time special relationship partner of the United States who has it, had its eyes and plans and written about bringing the United States back into the British Empire so they could take over the whole world and make an English-speaking language type mm. of uh, dictatorship. And they wrote about this, and they said uh, in the 1920s, they said, you know what, part of this plan is not going to work because America will never do business and get close with an empire. So they write about it. There's Columbia speeches by Alfred Zimmern, where he says, we're going to call it the British Commonwealth. And there, here's this whole thing. And Lionel Curtis, who was part of Cecil Rhodes Roundtable, agreed. And they had these ideas. So they step by step, like in the 20s, get closer to the Americans. And then in the 30s, we have a Great Depression because all our investment money went over to Germany because their market had crashed. They had hyperinflation. It was a huge investment opportunity. And these railroad tycoons, uh, like the Harrimans, who are big Skull and Bones family, and other robber barons went in and industrialized Germany at that time. So by the time you get to World War II, Auschwitz was built by the Harrimans and other Skull and Bones kind of uh, robber barons as an industrial park. And it was a place where all these railroad tracks met and they could do these things. And later, that gets used for horrific things. So if you go back to who powered up these systems in Germany in the first place, it comes back to a bunch of Anglo-Americans who had certain eugenics ideas and found it inconvenient to do it at cold, uh, what was it cold stone Harbor? What's the name of the laboratory in long Island? Anyway. Um, I don't remember. Yeah. So they have laboratories where they do this in the United States. And this is where Hitler got these ideas in the first place from these same families, like the Harrimans. Right. So I, I'll just, uh, I know we were talking about world trade center seven and, and these sort of things, but this plays into it. Let me just take you over here for a second. Harriman commission. Avril Harriman, for example, here's someone who's part of a family, and this is uh, Prescott Bush's business partner. So at the time of World War II, when Prescott Bush, they're funding the Nazis, the Harrimans are involved, but the senior family involved in that is the Rockefellers. Nelson Rockefeller was, you know, his family is funding the Nazis, and this plays into a lot of 20th century history. So I guess the 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 point being, if you look into the the history of the war profiteers and who's been making things happen in this area around the world did that glitch my zoom connection at all when i changed it no it looks good all right cool so then you could start to see brown brother harriman 
they are a front for eugenics and Hitler and a whole bunch of other things. And that funding continued afterwards. And the political family in our country that took like took power from this is the Bush family. <clears throat> That's had incredible. Two family members, you know, uh, a son of Prescott Bush and a grandson of Prescott Bush who have been president of the United States after they killed Kennedy. The same people that you're looking for in solving the Kennedy assassination. They rose to power through that assassination and they have maintained power. And it's not an inner American power. It's a deep state infiltration purposefully in and like there's all there's thousands and thousands of pages of documents that show clearly they had this goal they had this agenda then they inserted and they got footholds in this country and they progressively and and along the way they changed our education to become schooling so we would never notice it right right well and they did an incredible job because basically no one's aware of what you're talking about right now uh it's pretty mind-blowing and i mean i think that a lot of people have have you know woken up without actually knowing the the facts or the truth of it, but they just they suspect it. Particularly after the lockdowns period, I know many of my audience are are starting to feel as if this uh, this can't all be coincidental. And the fact that For it was sure. global, the fact that it was global in nature has has really uh, shocked me. There was a a video that was going around um, this morning. I actually. I quote tweeted it. So if people want to go to my page, it's at Liberty Lockpod. You guys can watch it. Uh, but it's the the exact same phenomenon that happened with you know our intelligence agencies including our health uh, establishment agencies you know CDC and stuff like that that were instructing big tech on you know modifying their terms of service so that they could essentially sculpt the narrative during lockdowns and and in response to the covid and the vaccination uh, you know regime and all that uh, the exact same thing happened on in Australia the exact same and, and I'm not even exaggerating when I say this. They use the same phraseology of dis and misinformation. It's just it's like like it all happened in lockstep together somehow. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. But I, I, you know, early on in the you know lockdown era, I just kind of refused to believe that this could be orchestrated because it was it was global in nature, and that just seemed impossible. Um, but when you see this video and you're like. They are violating, I mean, granted, Australians don't have the same, you know, constitution or bill of rights that we do, but they're still violating their people in a really egregious fashion and doing it in the exact same way, using the, the exact same phraseology. And I just don't know how you come away concluding anything other than, well, this had to have been orchestrated in a lockstep fashion. Is that, <laughs> is that your opinion as well? Yeah, I mean, I could show you the, I have the Rockefeller lockstep document. We went over it a couple of weeks ago on Grand Theft World, and we had covered it several years ago on Grand Theft World. But it's just showing like as time passes, like here's what they've done already out of these plans. And here's what's remaining that they wanted to do and took enough money, like time and money to propose a plan that they seem to still be following. Right. And there's a lot of instances of this. For instance, uh, one of the favorite ones I used to put, uh, point out years ago was in the 21st century, the UK, United Kingdom's Ministry of Defense started publishing documents about the future and so they started like, I remember I saw 2007 and it projects out to like 2025 and 2010, they project out to 2040 and they've got this rolling projection and it's called the DC, DC Strategic Trends Program, MME on the end of program because they spell it like British people. So the Ministry of Defense has these programs. You download the PDF and you read from like 2007 perspective, what do they think the future looks like? From 2015, what do they think the futures look like? We are in that future right now because they have been planning and building in a military warlike sense this whole thing that precipitates down to like from Bilderberg into World Economic Forum. And from there, you got your DEI and ESG and all this other stuff that comes down. 
but there's a, a series of layers in bureaucracy. And when you get to the top, or the, the upper layers, you see there's a, a hundred year foundation they built for what they're building right now. And if we don't start to say, hey, something's going on and what do we need to know about this and who are we playing against and what are their strategies and what are their end games? We don't really stand a chance. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, that, that's been my revelation over the past few years is that like this is global in nature and it is planned. And that like it's very hard for me to to say that without still feeling like a crazy person. But like I've I've been studying this very regret like full time for three years now. And I'm like, yeah, there's just no denying it at this point. <laughs> like it's just so it's so obvious once you realize it. Um and then you so also now you realize- need to understand the details of like the who, what, where, when, why, and how. Right. Right. And I saw this coming starting, you know, 2003 and I started publishing in 2006. So by 2009, I said, I need to leave a breadcrumb trail for people who come afterwards, who ask the question, like, who are the non-elected rulers? What are they up to? All these things. I made a, a podcast series for 10 years called the Peace Revolution Podcast. It's at peacerevolution.org. And if you go to that URL, you got 93 episodes. Now, some of these episodes like this one is probably close to 20 hours. This one is uh, the last one I did in the series. It's a continuing series. But right now I, I taught about the origins of libertarian economics yep. and the philosophy. And then the second edition that I've been working on for the past five years is practical applications of libertarian philosophy and agorism, these different things. So I will wow. continue the podcast, but right now I'm doing Grand Theft World Weekly News juxtaposed to the history. This is all the history. So if you were to go down, you can see everything you need to know about the Anglo-American establishment, the United Nations agenda, uh, how they broke our schooling. Uh, what are the classic elements of freedom that brought America about in the first place? The British elephant in the American living room. So these are all evergreen. These were not topical things of that week or anything. This was like, here is the evidence in sequential form that you could understand and educate yourself and come up to speed and then stand on the battlefield or the playing field, however you want to see. And then you right. could be educated in what like other people would spend a lot longer time uh, internalizing. Yeah, so no, that's, you that's can learn a about great Panopticon, right? So all watched over by loving machines is like the modern cybernetic take, but we also take you back to the creation of the Panopticon because that was the Jeremy Bentham East India Company way of making uh, the prisoners think they're always being watched. So you don't, you can lower your labor rates. Because the mm. prisoners think they're always being watched. So they've worked on mechanizing and kind of making efficient these systems that delete our freedom in the future. So I wanted to leave like these time capsules or trail of breadcrumbs through those episodes so that people could start with. Like, I think the first episode is called The Million Dollar Education, because until you learn critical thinking, reading is a liability. Reading is a form of slavery mm. until a method of critical thinking is practiced consistently by the reader. Otherwise, you're not going to know what's true or false, and you're always going right. to fall for the propaganda. So if people install that element and then start uh, assessing the data and consuming and learning on their own, they've got a, a chance to see what's going on before everything crashes. Yeah, and, and before and and before they're led astray, hopefully. Um, yeah, I think that's that has been probably my biggest uh, you know guide guiding light through all of this is that I have you know, basic economic principles and basic kind of philosophical principles. And obviously most of them are tied in with libertarianism, but um, because of that, because it's to... a non-contradictory philosophy, right. this is the thing. This is what makes it like, Oh, it's useful. It doesn't have a bunch of contradictions in it. Right. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. But, it, but it, that's kind of how my brain is now formulated in that, like I, I'm able to suss out uh, 
incongruencies and inconsistencies and narratives and things like that. It, it It's weird to say, but it does seem as if kind of the libertarian mindset and worldview is beneficial in analyzing the, the psychological operations that we're living through. You ever yeah. feel that way? Yeah. And when I first started podcasting in 2006, what I was doing was leaving breadcrumb trails behind of evidence that existed that contra- uh, at least contrary to the official narrative. Mm-hmm. So I did a whole podcast of hundreds of hours of you know, here's evidence on World Trade Center 7. Here's evidence on the Pentagon. Here's evidence on the uh, the towers in an entertaining fashion, right? I'd take like some media and I'd, I'd mix it and mash it so I could take like the towering inferno audio and play various pieces of evidence about th- those ongoings. And that was like an episode, right? Or mm-hmm. there was another episode where I think we played Dark, uh, uh, Dark Side of the Moon four or five times during the episode in the background. So... <laughs> I tried to keep it lighthearted and entertaining because the topics I cover are very serious and they have a lot of horrific details to them, right? So if you go back to like just the World Trade Center aspect of 9-11, you have a series of buildings. All those buildings were damaged that day. How did the damage occur? Like if let's look at it like we're insurance uh, investigators, mm-hmm. right? Um, North Tower catches on fire first. South Tower catches on fire second. World Trade Center 7 later that day at like 520 falls into its own footprint. It was reported 20 minutes earlier by BBC that that building had already fallen into its own footprint. They read their script early that day. Who is that? The BBC, the British. Oh, it's the MI6 people that created our OSS and CIA and have had deep state control of us for over 80 years. Jesus. Right. So you th- you think yeah. that, I mean, what's fascinating to me is that like, Everyone talks about, you know, ISI. They talk about the Saudis. They talk about the CIA. Yes. Uh, they talk. They talk about Mossad and the dancing Israelis. Yeah. They don't ever talk about the British ever, because they're not even supposed to be on the radar, right? Yeah, well, like it the, just tells the me that critiques. they're the best. They're the best fucking intelligence agency in the world because yes. no one even pays attention. Well, I would to them. put them right next to Mossad. Mossad has like this cunning. Um, uh, spur of the moment, spontaneous nature to it, right? Yeah. It also has this uh, reputation of hunting down Nazis around the world, all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Nazis helped to create the Mossad and do their first training. People like Reinhard Galen were brought in by MI6 and OSS under Operation Paperclip to help them out. And there's an interesting story of how the Israelis, well, they're proto-Israelis at this point, blackmailed Nelson Rockefeller to get his his votes in Latin America at the UN so that they could become a country back in 1948. And there's a ton of evidence around this, right? And that story comes from a Mossad agent who was in the room at the time that Nelly was blackmailed. Unbelievable. That's why I have his poster there. He's such an interesting character in history. He died with his secretary's head between, or no, his head between a secretary's legs. That's how that worked. Interesting character. Died young too, Nelly Rock did, whereas David lived to like, I don't know, 100 years old or something. Right. But those are the Twin Towers, David and, and Nelson. It's a Rockefeller project that they made the port authority for. And then they later sold right before 9-11 to Silverstein's group where he took out all these insurance policies. And then all of a sudden those things popped off a couple of weeks later and there's no investigation of that. He got paid out, I don't know, four, $7 billion Jesus on a Christ. $300 million investment. I, I saw yesterday, and I don't know if it's true, but you'll probably know that the at the time or in the years uh, past 9-11, the SEC investigations into those that financially benefited from shorting the airlines was was the biggest SEC investigation in history, and it was shredded uh, and and dropped. Is that is that your understanding as well? It's not only that, but when I traced the insider trades 
So there's insider trades on Marsh and McLennan. There's insider trades on United Airlines. There's American Airlines, all these businesses that were involved in 9-11, right? If you look at the insider trading, it went back to a former client of mine, uh, AB, or was it uh, Alex Brown, Deutsche Bank, purchased them, Bankers Trust. It was like a conglomerate of these banks, right? Deutsche Bank is like a Nazi bank, right? So let's just start there. Number three person um, at CIA, AB Buzzy Krongard, was tied to, like he had worked at the, the bank and he was formerly at the CIA. So there, that was a, a line of suspicion that people had. Why is Buzzy Krongard involved? Or, you know, a place where he was very high up in ownership or management, an executive at the company involved in those nine those nine eleven trades. But there's more interesting aspects and those those are like super tiny breadcrumbs, right? There's like actual pieces of bread lying around that no one's really done much with. So there's reports on the morning of 9-11 that during this whole collapse situation, deverticalization, if you will, of these buildings, there's a robbery going on below ground with armored trucks and bars of gold. And I know it sounds like a, a diehard plot, right? There yeah. is a, a bank vault full of bars of gold. And there were trucks reported half loaded and like didn't leave the scene. Like they were being rushed and they, you know, stuff fell apart before they could get these last trucks out of there. And the company in charge of the security was a company called Kroll Associates. Now Kroll Associates it's typically known as the CIA of Wall Street, but really it's the Mossad of Wall Street. So let's start there. It's like the Mossad of Wall Street. Now, the owners of Kroll Associates at that time were AIG and Marsha McLennan. And Kroll Associates is in charge of World Trade Center security, not just the vaults underground. That was additional contracts they had, right? Because Kroll makes armored cars. It makes presidential vehicles. It's like a little intelligence agency that's a private corporation that's been used by our government for 40 or 50 years in Iran-Contra and BCC. Like it's That's the milieu they run with, right? Mm -hmm. So Kroll Associates owned by AIG and Marsh. AIG and Marsh are also father-son CEOs. Hank Greenberg and Michael Greenberg, I think was his name at Marsh, right? So now you've got those connections. Now, AIG and Marsh McLennan were both my clients. And I did so much work at Marsh in the World Trade Center that they gave my team offices and cubicles there, right? So we're doing development on their front-end website, Marsh.com, because they didn't have a Marsh.com and they wanted to take all these Lotus Notes people and webify everything. And that was cool. And I didn't know who Hank Greenberg was when I'm in meetings sure. with, with these people. But you find out later, he was nominated to be head of CIA. What does that mean to you, Clint? Oh, he's, Did he ever uh, work at like he, George H. W. Bush got to be nominated CIA director, and he had never worked at CIA. No, it means that he was he was already in the fold, right? So you don't get that offer. AIG at the time was the world's private largest private air force. It had like forty thousand planes. It had been like implicated in all these drug smuggling operations. Wait, AIG was yeah really yeah wow. right, and That's so strange. AIG if you if you go back into the literature on such things. There's a 2004 LA Times article called The Secret Insurance Agent Men. And you find out that AIG was formed by an OSS operative named Cornelius V. Starr, two R's, and that uh, his nephew or whatever or grandson was Kenneth Starr, who did the whole Clinton thing with Monica Lewinsky. What the fuck? So C.V. Starr starts AIG. <laughs> And it's like a, a front company for intelligence operations. Since it's 
origins, right? That's now that, incredible. Notice that wasn't known in 2001 when all this stuff's going on. It came out in 2004 because then AIG is involved with the biggest payoff from the government in a couple of years during the 2008 financial crisis. They yeah. got bailed. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, they get bailed out by our government. Oh my! It's almost like they had blackmail on our government or something. The way they got bailed out, right? And now, if you cross-reference all this that I'm talking about, and you overlay what you know from Whitney Webb's One Nation Under Blackmail, and you're like, oh, there's patterns all over the place right. of all sorts of Epstein-related type activities. Epstein's related in, in Iran-Contra, right? Like, so he's an early player back then with the guys he's playing with, Adnan Khashoggi and the, all these other people that are in that small milieu, right? Because uh, Dodi Fayed is, I thought they were related to Adnan Khashoggi. I thought they were like cousins. Right. So there's like a Saudi <clears throat> Turkish element. And so they had the Levant company. That was the original opium smuggling company. Then they had the East India company. They've got powerful families from around the world that you don't think have anything to do with them. And they're people on the other end of big transactions. Right. So like uh, a famous one would be when the British royal family intermarried with the Sassoons from Baghdad, uh, Iraq. So in the 1800s, the East India Company is doing business with India. And in the midst of that is the Baghdad opium warlord named Sassoon. And they're getting like their opium, like they're completing their triangle trade. They're bringing over Manchester fabrics and they're trading it for opium. Then they take the opium to China and drop it on those people so they can have a century of humiliation. And then bring China into the Western world. Like Xi Jinping dresses like uh, Prince Charles mm -hmm. or King Chucky III, whatever, KC3 whatever you want to call them now. Like they have been <laughs> westernized. HSBC was the Hong Kong Shanghai Bank Corporation that did the East India Company's money laundering over there. And so everything that grew out of that was like robber baron uh, infrastructure and international bankers economics. And then it's used on a, as a piece on the board. So China can be against America or Russia can be against America. But the same people who got deep state access on us set up the industrial infrastructure for Soviet Russia and for China. And oh, that's that's evident. So the answer to the China question is how they do that. It was called the American International Com uh, Corporation. So not AIG. This is different. This is 1917. It's called the AIC. And all these people from the Federal Reserve and these robber barons went over and built the industrial aspects in China so they could have railroads and tunnels and all the stuff they needed for Mao's communism to be successful. Same thing in Russia. These same robber barons went over there, and this work would be Anthony Sutton's trilogy, Wall Street and the Soviet Union, Wall Street and the Bol Bolsheviks, Wall Street and Hitler, right? So there's a whole bunch of evidence that these this international group has not only had eyes on America and subverted America, but also went and set up like the opposite sides on a vice so they could squeeze America to the ultimate endeavor, which was United Nations. Uh, no one has American rights. No one has sidearms. No one has free speech. It's a global community and you have to do what the faraway people tell you you have to do. You have no local accountability as we originally set up in this country. Right. Right. So there's a whole lot to it. And you can't yeah. see what happens on 9-11 from just studying the events on that day. You need to understand the history that led up to it, the people in power, the yep. people that were sitting in the E-4Bs on the runway before the thing popped off. Right. There's plans of continuity of government in motion that morning before the events even start. Let's right. start there. Who are these people? What's an E4B? It's a doomsday plan for what? Continuity of government. Because what? Because these people who are deep state assets, Bush among them, his dad, they're like all Anglo-Americans. They're tied to the opium monopoly. That's what Skull and Bones is. In 1832, Yale University gets Skull and Bones. What is Yale University? 
Elihu Yale worked for the East India Company. He created an Oxford in America, Yale University. In 1832, 100 years later, they insert the German secret society, Skull and Bones. Why? Because the East India Company had just opened up to privateers, their opium monopoly. They were having problems. And in 1832, the EIC says, everybody can trade opium with us. You can be part of our network. So Skull and Bones is the American stay-behind loyalist element to the empire that then got their drug license with the Skull and Bones, and they went about subjugating our education system. Their, their fingerprints are all over it. Sutton also noticed this. He had a, a whole chapter in his original book called How the Order 322 Skull and Bones Controls Education. And it brought in a PhD system to this country because the PhD is a Prussian-German system of education that they brought over here. And they said, we will make our own experts. And once we have the experts, everybody else follows. Now yep. compare that to COVID. What just yeah. happened? These yep. guys with the plan acted as experts. And in the and without people having critical thinking and communication, they have to subject themselves to the experts. Yeah. International well, it, experts. They created the technocracy. Rights. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Jesus Christ, dude. <laughs> I'm going to have to listen back to this one. That was incredible. Um, real quick. I got I to gotta hit the brakes and go back. <laughs> go back for a second. Um, so you said that there was basically an armed was it an armed robbery that was happening underneath the World Trade Center? That's what it looks like from reports that are not me, in my opinion. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's articles. There's articles from both locations. So let's start World Trade Center. Um, there are reports of the armored cars partially loaded with gold that looked like they were going to remove gold from there. And they were crushed in upon when the buildings came down. Wow. Right? So, and that is managed by Kroll Associates. And that... That comes from a November 1st, 2001 news article published on, it was a, what was it, Hudson News? It was a New York newspaper place, and I could find the artifact for you. But there's there's uh, evidence through journalism of their reporting right. that that was going on. Also, in one of these reports about what was going on there, it talked about how my employer, Silverstream, was going to be contributing to the data recovery efforts along with Larry Ellison from Oracle and Oracle started as a CIA project back in the sixties. And he's a front man for an international MI6 CIA project on which everyone keeps their data. It's a relational database. What are you, what are you talking about? That's where it came from. It was, it was a Pentagon project. So there's those aspects. And then uh, showing that the clients that I was working with that not only got affected that day, but also ran security. This is the day when John O'Neill, goes missing he got fired by fbi so first off john o'neill fbi agent he's in charge of the osama bin laden investigations around the world the the coal all this stuff he's he's up osama's ass in august and he's in a meeting and he takes a phone call he leaves the meeting and when he comes back his briefcase is missing and they set up they set him up so he's fired then wow. his good friend jerome Hauer comes along jerome works at kroll associates jerome's also the people he's the guy who told the white house to go on cipro before the anthrax attacks happened holy shit jerome Hauer, look it up jerome Hauer hires uh john o'neill and his first day was not 9 11 it was like two days earlier or something like that but the point is osama's biggest fbi investigator works for a private security company that had security on the world trade center complex when osama bin laden allegedly attacks it and kills john o'neill so there's some small parts. And then if you ask who found John O'Neill's body and identified him, it gets weirder. So there's a whole bunch of this stuff where it's like, if you just scratch the surface and start asking like, 
any of the claims. So the way I usually play the game with people is like, let's clear the desk. We have no evidence of anything on here. What would you like to go with? Uh, World Trade Center was on fire. Great. I can enter that. Because if you say it was hit by a plane, who identified the plane? Do the specs match up with the actual? For instance, they're going to tell you it's flight 11 and there's 11. There's like six ways to identify a commercial airliner. Where's the chain of custody? Who identified it? How was that identified? If they turned off the transponder when they crossed over Stewart Air Force Base at the same time, both hijacks go over an Air Force Base that mm. is a drug running Air Force Base, Stewart Air Force Base. At the same time, they they go on and off transponder, almost as if the planes landed and took off. But I'm not saying that. I'm just saying from the evidence, that's pretty weird that the hijackers were over able to cross over a military base and then like turn everything off and back on. It has me questioning just that, right? Yeah. So the claim that uh, the hijacked plane was flight 11, I'd say we don't know about that, but let's say there's a hijacked plane. Okay, it flew at 500 miles an hour into the World Trade Centers. And I'd say bullshit. And you'd say, why? I'd say if uh, a plane of that size cannot fly at that speed at that altitude, it would fall apart within two minutes. You cannot mm -hmm. also target a specific place like we're going to hit this thing because the whole plane starts shaking. You can go 500 miles an hour at 30,000 feet, 35,000 feet. There is a VMO, a maximum velocity uh, that you can go with these planes at various altitudes. And it is mm. like twice what a plane at that altitude can safely go without losing control of it and not being able to hit its target with suicide bombers, right? right. It also brings into question the nature of what was it? Because if you can't even remote control a commercial airliner at that speed because of the physics involved, with the structure and how how it starts to get wing flutter and ailerons flutter, all these things take away your ability to control it. Yeah. Right? Plus, they yeah. could barely fly Cessnas. There's no way they would have the touch. Right. You're not making big moves in a commercial airline. It's just little, no. little, little. They don't have that. They're under yeah. pressure of hijacking a plane. And then you can go into like the calls, the things that Todd Beamer, who worked at Oracle Corporation, Todd said. Uh, at 20 minutes after the hijacking started that these guys were about to hijack the plane. So his story chronologically does not match up with the events, which are known from the evidence and all these other things that went on. Right. So there's those. So you can look into any of these areas and start to inqu inquire. What is the evidence? Right. What's the chain of custody? Who drew the conclusion and when was it drawn? The conclusion of Osama bin Laden was drawn within a half hour of the events that morning by L. Paul Bremer, who worked at Marsha McLennan, he was their risk management CEO. And he mm. later became governor of Iraq and oversaw missing billions and billions of dollars. Right? So there's Company a man. small group of people on this planet who saw fit to use their resources to wage war. And to this day, people are confused about who really attacked us. And therefore, you don't, you don't have a whole lot of change other than right. us losing our rights through the Patriot Act and everything else they've rolled out to the point where <laughs> I was just watching the sentencing of Owen Schroyer, you know, he's got 60 days for free speech. And that means they couldn't get anything off his phone to use against them. It means they didn't have anything from J6 to use against them. They finally used the Ross Ulbricht speech because uh, like Ross Ulbricht is a, a double life sentence plus $40 million uh, Eagle Scout who got sentenced about 10 years ago. And Catherine Forrest, his judge, said in her decision, it's not because of the crimes that Ross committed that he's getting this sentence. It's specifically because of his libertarian philosophy that he's getting this sentence because wow. he was a, he was a Ron Paul young libertarian when he was in college, yep. right? These sort of things. And so for all these Liberty groups to like not support Ross to the nth degree, 
he went to jail for everyone else's beliefs. Yeah. And when they set those precedents of using uh, parallel construction and all these other ways, they railroaded him because I've read through his case extensively and I'm familiar with it and I'm friends with his mom now because yep. of what I've seen, the injustice. If Ross was so guilty, why do they have to make shit up? Same thing with uh, Schroyer. Same thing with a lot of these J6 people. They yep. put the government's pressure on you to get you to plea to something you didn't do as a way of surviving the situation that our tax dollars are paying for. Yeah, so well, a lot not of questions that come up on the table when people start looking at these things. Yeah, hell yeah, man. Well, yeah, the, no and, answers and forthcoming. And it's not just to not not just to pressure them to plea. It's also to get them to flip on on bigger and bigger fish. I mean, that's exactly how the uh, uh, you know FBI and these types of organizations work these days. And it's actually coming for Donald Trump, which I, actually I've always wanted to ask you about this. So I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Um, you know, there's a lot of lot of people, particularly given that Donald Trump was he did preside over the destruction of our economy in terms of allowing, you know, Fauci and Burks, et cetera, et cetera, to to dictate on high uh, for that entire summer of 2020. It really fucked up not just our country but the world. Um, it is fascinating to me that he is being he is being treated as such a pariah, and and ultimately, it looks as if they they do intend to put him behind bars potentially. Yeah. Uh, is this a ruse? Is it real? What do you think? Big Shave has been psyoping the American people for decades. Plastic cartridge razors are a scam. They jack your face up and cost too much. You don't need expensive replacement cartridges. You only need one stainless steel blade. Take down Big Shave and shave plastic free. Veteran owned, family operated, NadeauShaveCo.com. Again, that's NadeauShaveCo.com, N-A-D-E-A-U, ShaveCo.com. Sign up with code LOCKDOWN for a special discount for my audience only. Support the liberty-minded businesses that support liberty-minded shows like Liberty Lockdown. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Nado. N-A-D-E-A-U, ShaveCo.com, promo code LOCKDOWN. All right, so that's a good question. Let's zoom out. Yes. Let's clear let's clear the table. Once upon a time, Donald Trump once shaved Vince McMahon's head on pro wrestling. So you gotta have <laughs> a good guy and a bad guy. Right. Yeah. He usually plays a good guy, but if they cast him as a bad guy, he'd probably do a bad guy role. He also uh, you know, he paid the Clintons to uh, go to his wedding. Um, he got bailed out in nineteen ninety one when do you you're old enough. You remember when he went yeah. bankrupt back in the day? Yeah. And then he still had his name on all the buildings. How do yeah, they have Atlantic Trump Casino? City. Isn't he back? Yeah, right. So here's how that rolls out. Uh, March 1991, Bloomberg prints an article called Donald's Trump Card. Now, ironically, you have to go to Internet Archive to see this because Bloomberg doesn't want you to see this. This is inconvenient information. In that article, page two, you see that Rothschild Inc. bailed out Donald Trump. And the guy for Rothschild Inc. who bailed him out was named Wilbur Ross. Now, mm. when Trump gets elected, Wilbur Ross is the first commerce secretary. He pays that favor right back. And then he switches out Ross and puts somebody else in to pay back another favor, right? Because mm. that's how that stuff works. Sure. So in the 90s, the Rothschild said, you know, Trump uh, was bankrupt, but his name was still worth a lot. And that's why they chose to leave it on the buildings for marketing and because they get leads from having his name, right? Mm -hmm. So now you kind of, and, you know, he's at a Christmas party with George Soros and Oliver Stone, right? So like these, they, they mingle together. Now, do they like Trump? No, they don't. Yeah. They don't. And they, the evidence of this would be Obama made fun of him at that uh, press dinner. Right. 
And that's when Trump probably was like, fuck you. I'll become president. I'll fucking do this. Fuck you. You think you can talk to me I, like that? Right. I, and then he did yeah. it as a, as a joke, basically, like, fuck that. I'll do. And then people were like, yes. And then he's like, okay, I could do this role. He's like, I just did 10 years of The Apprentice. Right. This is a good gig for him. So I think people put too much trust and too much like of him knowing what's going on. Like, he doesn't know what I just told you in the beginning of this podcast. He's not read up no. on any of this stuff. And he doesn't hire people like us to brief him and take it no. seriously. So therefore, during COVID, he first off surrounded himself with swamp creatures in his administration. And then second, because he doesn't know what the swamp is. Right. Like, and Marshall, not, ju- not just swamp creatures, but like yeah. the worst of the worst. Yes, of course. But like the worst of the worst would be like the second generation of the people that killed Kennedy and covered it up. Like that's that's one of the authoritative le- layers. And he surrounds Bill, himself Bill Barr, with these yeah. people. Yes. Yeah. Who You know, his dad hired Epstein at uh, the Dalton School. <laughs> right. And the CIA paid for Bill Barr to go to law school in the first place. Right. Yeah. He's Iran Contra back in the day. You got to look at these things on a longer spectrum than the, the, like mainstream media wants you to look at it like this. Right. And looking at it like this, you can but you can it's... believe anything they say because you don't know. It's all fragmented. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I do the work I do is like I can take in large data sets and then like boil it down and make it simple for people without being disingenuous or hyperbolistic to it. And right. that's a useful skill for people who are trying to figure out what's going on and keep themselves and their families safe. Yeah. So well, it may, in this in this information deluge environment, it may be the most important skill that you can have. So uh, I am I am in your debt for being able to explain it. So let's. So let's... I'm not a Trump supporter. Like, yeah, I didn't vote for him in 2016. I stopped voting in 2004 when I heard Michael Badnerick, libertarian president, candidate, give a speech that made so much more sense than anything else that I've ever heard. I voted for Mike Badnerick. And then he was later in my autonomy course and did uh, his constitution and know your rights classes and stuff like that before he passed away like two years ago. Amazing. So I stopped believing in the red team, blue team stuff right. it was about two years after 9-11 when I started putting more of this together. Like... There is a group of people that has a budget to do these things, and yeah. we're not supposed to know about it. I think well, that's worthy of being known. See, th- this is the thing that that perplexes me. Like, if I'm if I'm orchestrating on high, as we are, that's basically what this conversation is about. Is the people that do that? I would not want a figure like Donald Trump. I he is he he has he he's unpredictable, and he has also lit a real populist movement in this country that. Yes, they are. They're easily led astray, and and you know they they take abuse without really uh, fighting back to a large extent too. But still, if I was them, I wouldn't want that. And unless unless I was angling for, you know, no, civil they wanted conflict. Hillary. Like it's clear if you if you watch the 2016 election coming up to it, right? You had um, the DNC leaks. You had the Hillary email leaks from Wikipedia. We're going through that stuff. I'm finding stuff. I'm I'm tweeting james Pilato in the open i'm like hey bro can you show me if this hillary pizza logo really came from the wikileaks and somebody from hillary's tech team breached my firewall and started hacking me and i happened to be training a new firewall so i saw it come in and i ran the ip wow. and i'm like and i ran his name i'm like dude he flies on the plane with hillary get the That's fuck out crazy. So i told Pilato, i'm like you know Prank caller, prank caller. And I didn't tweet again for a while after that because I was like, I just got <laughs> touched. I got yeah. touched. Yeah. So um, right before the election, The Economist, which is a Rothschild family front, they have a collectivist voice. There's no individuals who write for The Economist. It's all offered as a collective voice of the financial family that funds the London School of Economics and The Economist. That's straight up. They do that. Wow. So they said, and now, Sir Evelyn de Rothschild and Lynn Forrester de Rothschild are the ones that have the influence over The Economist and London School of Economics. The Economist um, 
said, we don't have a vote in your election coming up. But if we did, it would be for Hillary Clinton. And the economist ran a poll that said Hillary wins by 98% to Trump's 2%. So they were doubled down. Now, if you go in the WikiLeaks, Lynn Forrester de Rothschild sends Hillary messages like XOXO, miss you. Like they, they got some stuff going on. And Lynn Forrester de Rothschild funds fundraisers for Media Matters, David Brock, and James Aliphantus. And I could also show you Soros Foundation contributions to the Comet Ping Pong place. Right? So there is some <laughs> I knew, real I knew that stuff was coming. to all. Right. It's <laughs> called the, Amer- it's called the 20- American 21st Century Bridge Fund or something like that. Uh, it's it's a strange name. I probably have it in the history blueprint if you needed that type of detail. But no, no, it's okay. I, American I mean, Bridge, twenty first century. American Bridge. Here it is. I got you. I always got it because no one believes anything until you show them. Here's the American Bridge, twenty first century. Let's click. Let's go over here to a browser. Factcheck.org. Here you can get the information about it. And if you go into their paperwork. Their uh, uh, political leadings, Democratic, liberal, they took money from Soros and they contributed it to Comet Pizza. And I got screenshots. And I also have no plans to kill myself. And I'm sa- <laughs> I'm asking all this for a friend. Just yes. putting it on the record. <laughs> exactly, man. All right. So, so is is Trump a uh, is he a white hat? I mean, is he is he actually? On the side of the, like for, from my just I'll, I'll give my assessment first and I'll let you tell me what you think. Uh, he, he has always struck me as a guy that's just a pure, pure egotist, pure, pure narcissist, loves, loves the love, you know, loves his supporters that love him, basically does and says to a large extent what they want to hear. doesn't have much in the way of principles. Um, and that's kind of my assessment of him. But he his the fact that he has ran in those circles with the you know New York elite for so long, it, it always has left the kind of open-ended question of like, well, how much is this a a, a heel play as opposed to real opposition? And I don't know, um, but I, I agree with your assessment that they wanted Hillary in 2016. So yeah. it, do you think that these prosecutions are legitimate and that he could actually end up in prison? Oh yeah, in they prison? hate him, man. They have real Trump derangement syndrome. That's a, that's okay. a real thing out there. I thought they, so too. They... They go, they forego processes and standard operating procedures in order to get on these people. And like, I'm not, like I said, I'm, I'm not a red team or blue team person, but I am an American and I'm, I'm, I'm concerned with what's going on because Joe Biden did not, he's not the most popular president ever. No No. way. Not after Obama had to do all that marketing and branding to get his right. There's no way the guy from the basement who can't even talk gets that. 81 million, baby. Not happening. So. So yeah, there's I, that aspect. So Trump's in it, but they also don't want you to be able to get access to like a RFK Jr., right? Because they're subverting him just like they subverted uh, Bernie on the Democrat side. Yep. Trump, they really believe like he's a rapist and all these other things. Like they literally believe these things. And so I said, well, this Mar-a-Lago thing, what's going on? Oh, it's a guy that used to be a, a, a government uh, worker, like FBI, and he investigated Epstein. Then he worked for Epstein. And now he's the judge signing the Mar-a-Lago warrant. That's the history behind that guy. So if you just do that with these people, Merrick Garland, what's, what's he got in it? And he's tied to the Joe Biden crime family, bro. So yeah. he'll do whatever in his power to use that. The FBI has been deep captured since like the 1940s. Yep. No, I, and the, I agree and the with that. the blackmail network, that, I mean, he's one of the most famous blackmailed people in American history, J. Edgar Hoover. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they sure. had videos. They had footage of him and Clyde Tolson. And they're like, hey. At any time. And you know, when else the biggest blackmail, like pivot fulcrum in our history, JFK and 9-11, because 
the people who orchestrated it had people like LBJ and these other people like, and there was Rhodes Scholars in there involved. Nicholas Katzenbach is the one that tells you Oswald did it, closed final case. But the people in America who said they're going to be on the winning side of that assassination, they all got blackmailed because at any time, Israel or the UK could drop it to Americans that LBJ was in on it, right? Mm. Those people, as soon as you take that bait to participate in that crime, they're all being blackmailed because they could have been politically crushed at any time. Nixon got politically crushed because here's how Nixon came to power. Richard Nixon in the 1950s is a lawyer for the United States Navy. He goes and makes a visit to Alan Dulles and he says, I have evidence that your client is trading with the enemy during World War II. I'm going to put you both in, in federal prison. And Alan Dulles basically is like, hey, how about I fund your political campaign? And before you know it, Nixon is vice president with Eisenhower, who's also in on it because Eisenhower and Nelson Rockefeller are like this. They're running the Supreme Allied Headquarters Command and psychological warfare and all this stuff during World War II, right? Also during World War II, MI6 set up a base in the United States starting in 1938 in Rockefeller Center with Nelson Rockefeller's permission. He's like, here's your headquarters. It was called the British Security Coordination. It ran assassinations on American citizens who were not cool with America getting in the war against Germany. Right. This is they incredible. Had a, they had an assassination training camp. Uh, there's there's two. There's Camp X in Canada. So they would take Americans up there and train them. But what is presently known as Camp David, the presidential retreat in World War II, was a British constructed assassination training <laughs> camp. Get out of here, dude. I can't. That's, this is how it works. That's so crazy. Right. And so British <laughs> special forces, they are the pioneers of everything American special forces is copied from them. And they were the pioneers of like the German special forces. And then you take German special forces and put them back on American and British special forces after World War through, II. Through a paperclip. Yeah. Yes. Cause yeah. like, my there's, God, man. There's, yeah. There's, so when you look at 9 11, you need to know, like, what was the history leading up to it? Who were the people in power that had the ability to put false threats on Air Force One We're using that day's code as a credible threat? Only a nation state can do that type of stuff. Mm. The fact that you've got uh, 14 drills or 21 drills, I don't know, yeah. a lot of drills going on. Let me go back to that page in 9-11 um, because uh, I just looked at it the other day for the last oh, war games right there. The war games and training exercises. There's tons of these and they're going on in New York. And that's why Giuliani and these guys aren't in World Trade Center 7. They have a trailer set up that day for uh, Office of Emergency Management. It's called Tripod 2. And it's a drill that went on uh, starting the night before. So you have the FEMA guy saying, we got here on Monday the 10th and got set up. And then it would just happen to be like, you know, going on on Tuesday. We need to be set up. Man. All right, so uh, this uh, history analysis is phenomenal. Obviously, uh, I'm curious if you have an opinion as to to what what is going to transpire with these prosecutions of Trump. Because from my from my you know armchair quarterbacking, it looks to me as if he is the favorite to once again get the once again get the GOP nomination. And uh, besides removing him from ballots in in these states that they're prosecuting him, I think that he's the odds on favorite to to win the presidency. That seems as if it's a non-starter for the powers that be um, is, I mean, I've, I fear assassination attempts. If that were to tra transpire, I fear what his supporters might do. Um, it, it gives me great pause. And I, I'm, I would imagine you share in the concern. I'm just curious as to what you think about it all. Well, think about how cartel leaders still lead their cartels when they're in prison. 
right? So they could put this dude behind bars and people would still write him in and vote for him, right? True. They see the more I would probably vote for the guy if he was in jail. The more persecution he suffers, the bigger his base gets. And nobody goes the other way in this valve system. So every time the Democrat, it's the, it's the Streisand effect. And they mm-hmm. don't get it yet. Not even after Streisand got it named after her. Did, like we, <laughs> we said, here's an effect that tells you guys what you're doing wrong. Here's your blind she spot. She still does they it. just keep doing it. They, they, everyone <laughs> yeah. does it. So Trump, they're going to try to like, they got all these lawsuits, but they could fizzle or he could do some time. And yeah. if they did, if let's say he did some time, let's say he can't be on the playing field. They have like, they arrested the the team you're playing before they got to the game. So that's how you win the game is by putting the other team in prison. Yeah. Right. Like you want to win the soccer game so much, go to their houses and they're all copying DVDs or doing something illegal. Get them FBI. Right? Yeah, that's the, not a way to win. That's not much of a game. The other side is Yeah. like, first off the censorship aspect, censorship tells me you're intellectually bankrupt and you're wrong. Yes. So the fact that that is like their main go-to thing through the pandemic, through everything, it's like, oh, we'll just, we'll just stop. Like, it's not like they're going to address the truth. We'll just stop people from talking about the truth. Right. No, exactly. No, I, I agree with you that they, that they're weak, but you know, that's the issue is that like with dying empires, the, the death throes are very violent. Oh, yeah, for sure. They got a little death rattle going on. So if they put Trump in prison, then they're going to go with someone like uh, Vivek and either a Nikki Haley, but I don't like that. But uh, I would say, look, you throw Vivek and Christy Noem on a ticket. If Trump's in prison, his people will know to vote for them. Yeah, right? there are many governors whose names I know because they suck. Christy Noem, I know her name because she's awesome. And if right. North Co- North Dakota wasn't North Dakota, I'd probably live in her state. Yeah, or I think she's South, Dakota, South, Dakota, but re- South Dakota. Regardless, yeah. it's too um, far up. Too much too yeah. a winner. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think you're probably right. And I think that that is the, the role that Vivek is playing is that he is the obvious Trump surrogate and and potentially the Trump replacement if he is removed the friend from the board. The defense companies. Like the defense Vivek companies, is. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that he's made statements to that effect because I was like, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I, he I talks had a lot of freedom and he brought up 9 11 and stuff right, like right, that. Right, right, right. Yeah, he's like he's like giving us enough red meat to be like open to to what yeah. he has to say, but then he but he also... hasn't gone so far that he can't go back. You know, that's kind of like with Trump. Like he Trump never went so far that he pissed off Pfizer and Moderna and these other companies that contribute to his campaign, which is why he was all Operation Work Speedy, right? Because yes. he didn't know the big yes. picture. He didn't yeah. know that like in the 1800s, Bayer existed and so did Merck. Right. And Bayer was producing opium and heroin and all sorts of other good stuff and say, hey, give this to your kid for their cough. Here's here's heroin. It's less addictive than morphine. Right. And they were telling you that that was the science and it was safe back then. And they hired Freud to go do a bunch of marketing, both Merck and Pfizer. This was Jimmy Dore a couple of days ago. He had a fantastic guy who wrote a whole play called Freud on cocaine. So I learned a lot more than I knew. And I was like, this has been going on so long. Once you then that's why the guy wrote the play. He's like, if you just see what they did, he's like, you know, Freud right. was a coke addict. Merck, Mr. Merck himself noticed that Freud was like his largest producer, like a purchaser of cocaine. He figured Freud was doing studies. <laughs> Him and his partner, who was like his, his Freud's partner, Freud learned about cocaine because his partner was addicted to morphine. And Freud's like, hey, I read these uh, articles produced by Park Davis, who makes cocaine. It says cocaine's safer. 
right? <laughs> Literally, this is the story. And it's so much more hilarious to hear the guy tell us. So anyway, the Merck guys, like you guys are our biggest clients. Why don't we just send you free cocaine and you tell the world how great it is? And that was working. And then Park Davis is like, hey, people think American cocaine's shitty. Can we get you to like test some of it? And then Freud was like, woo, American cocaine's the best, Park Davis. Park Davis is now owned by Pfizer, right? So there's a whole continuity to these historical stories then I think people would be much more empowered in their own lives, understanding these things because you can make yeah. an actual decision with comparison and contrast. I trust human beings to make the right ratio call what's good for mm -hmm. them, you know, yeah. but with you, when you're only getting like the trust, the science and everyone else is deleted. Yeah. The brain cannot work without comparison and contrast. Yeah. If we don't have these two things, that's what rationality means. It comes from ratio. It means you need to compare two parts. That's right. how we think. And if you're not doing that, you're under control. You're, yeah. you're assuming like people talk about MK ultra and they do want to put brain chips and control people. Yes. But here's how they've traditionally controlled people in the 20th century. They just get you to assume things that aren't true. That leads to all the same results that they had command and control over you. The fact mm -hmm. that you're not thinking you're like, Oh, it was 18 hijackers with box cutters and they get, they showed the evidence and it's really long. So I didn't go through all of it. And I just believe what they say. Right. And I said yesterday, the people who did nine 11, first off, they're still at large. The people who did 9-11, they didn't construct the crime to fool the critical thinkers because they didn't. Like, there's hundreds, thousands of errors. Right. They made it so that cowardly people had an excuse not to critically think in the first place mm. and just assume that the truth. And then they had the Patriot Act. And then how many millions of people have been killed around the world for things that they had nothing to do with 9-11? How many people oh. are still in Gitmo right now getting tortured who had nothing to do with 9-11? Oh, I made this point with Luke yesterday. How many? How many... American servicemen take their lives to this very day, every single day, because of their participation in the war on terror. I mean, it like the body count for that act on 9-11 still is increasing to this very day. All right, now let's ask the question. This war on terror that the Americans waged against uh, the terrorists for 20 years, where did it primarily go on, geographically speaking? Middle East. Iraq, Afghanistan. Yeah. Okay. We Americans, we see like the last 20 years, Iraq and Afghanistan. Did you know if we were British, we would see the last like 300 years, Iraq and Afghanistan? Oh, wow. They had a first, second, and third Anglo-Afghan war in Afghanistan before they handed it off to us. And right? then we hit them with three. They had Iraq was one of their territories. Like I said, they married into the Sassoon opium family back in the day. They wanted to go in and loot it, but they never did it. So they used us in the 90s and in the 2000s to go Jesus get all those Christ. artifacts and bring them back to the British Museum, you know, all that sort of stuff. So American ha America has been uninformedly become the property managers for the British Empire, which morphed into the British Commonwealth, which then gave us land uh, destroyers for bases around the world. And then they put the rest of their finance capital to work in America to buy off the leaders and to shape America in their image. So it can mm -hmm. be easily, and they used not tax exempt, non-governmental organizations, specifically the Rockefeller Foundation, Ford Foundation, and Carnegie Foundation to change the attitudes, values, behaviors, and beliefs of Americans to be more in line with being merged with the Soviet Union. So they took the Cold War and they separated us, and then they had a plan to merge us afterwards, and they did that by changing our schooling and changing the politics and changing the control through the media and the influence. Yeah. Well, mission mission largely accomplished. I <clears throat> I want to end on this because I've had Tom Luongo on a few times and his thesis is that Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve are in fact fighting uh the Bank of England and and that they are they are angling to crush broad you know more broadly the EU 
and uh, and defend the U.S. dollar. Uh, do you do you find any uh, validity in that thesis? I don't know that there's much defense to the U.S. dollar. If you look at how it was created and you draw it out on the graph from 1913, it's just a pump extracting wealth from America, and it's reflected in the money getting more more worth less. I would also offer to those who know how to look things up. Uh, there's a website. Let me bring it up for you. It's called the Rothschild Archive, rothschildarchive.org. And if I were to bring it up on this screen so I can use the mouse on it, let's do that. Over here, you got exhibitions. If you were to go to this Rothschild timeline right here, mm -hmm. and you click on here, and here's the chronology of the family from 1450 to present day, and you go down here to the 1800s, uh, let's see, they save, they save uh, Britain from Napoleon. And then they take over the Royal Mint and then they take, they save the Bank of England. So I think it was 1821 or 22. I'd have to find it, but it's in this timeline right here. And then they're appointed bankers to the United States right after that. So they save the Bank of England. What's that mean? When you come in and save something, are you the person not in control of it or in control of it? What do you think? I'd say you're in control of it. Yeah. So when you hear Bank of England and the Queen goes down there and she does her things, like, well, the the people that have controlled that, in fact, up until recently, the price of gold was determined daily at the Rothschild's new court address for like 100 years. Now, they stopped doing that. But from like the 1920s till the early 2000s, the daily gold price was just determined at a Rothschild table. And they'd say, here's the price of gold today. Like, that's how it works. And it's not racist or anti-Semitic or homophobic right. <laughs> or any of these uh, type of like euphemisms. It's like, these are facts. I know how to read. I know how to yeah. read stuff that you're not directing me it to. Happened, so. Yes. Yeah. But, well, uh, you know, yeah. to be fair, to be fair to Tom Longo's thesis, uh, yeah. um, you know, he, he very well could believe that the, cause I'm, I'm, I haven't talked to him enough to know for sure, but he could believe that the Rothschilds and, you know, these, these power brokers that kind of run stuff, um, that they are they are so nationless that they could not be so concerned about the EU and just see it as a uh, you know a changing of the of the game board more or less. Yeah, and but the EU is coming from the Count Kalergi plan back in the 1920s. So all these things like Bank for International Settlements, the IMF, the World right. Bank, all these things were artificially created along the way to achieve the ends that they're building toward. So so you find it hard to believe that they would be in actual conflict with the Federal Reserve. I mean, they could be con in conflict with people who don't know the overall agenda, but they're not in conflict with the agenda gotcha. like overall. Right? Gotcha. Because the, the Federal Reserve, when you break it down, it's a group of families that came together and, and created it. And then they have like all the branches that spread out from there. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a disagreement on the on the part of the families that like we print money from nothing and we have the largest nation in the world's history printing our money and attaching everything they own to our debt. Because you can't pay off the the way that they and also it was it's a right given to them that Congress didn't have in the first place to give to them to do the Federal Reserve. Congress can only coin money; it cannot print money. Mm. So that's the Constitution. So things mm -hmm. like this, you know, or just even the you know the corporate personhood that it, all those banks use. That's a clerk's error on the cover sheet, and that's not really the the decision between Santa Clara County and Union Pacific Railroad. So technically, if we go by the law, there is no corporate personhood. But because the clerk misinterpreted the case and that got out, they have corporate personhood and they act very much like psychopaths. A corporation has no body to save, like no soul to save and no body to incarcerate. So very much they act like uh, psychopaths at an international globalist level. Yeah, well, that, <laughs> that has definitely been true as of late and certainly in, uh, you know, 
in the history that I'm aware of. So, um, good God, Richard, this has been phenomenal. Uh, I don't even know how long we've been going, but uh, I'm going to, yeah, we went longer than we thought we did. It was just yeah. it was good. It was good parhesia. It was good flow and exchange of information. Well, exactly, exactly. And, and I know I you always, have a smart audience, so you know. Oh they yeah. Can process hopefully, what I had to hopefully they, they can keep up and and uh, rewind and play it play it twice. Um, but thank you for joining me, man. Uh, go ahead and tell people where they can follow you. Yeah, you can find me over at grandtheftworld.com. And uh, twice a year, I teach uh, a leadership, entrepreneur, and uh, critical thinking course called Autonomy. It's there to fill the gap between what schooling drops you off with and what you need to survive and thrive in the world. Um, getautonomy.info forward slash ignite is the landing page. And, and we start later this month. Since we're going to be doing a cross stream, I'll, I'll tag myself at Liberty Lockpot on Twitter. And Liberty Lockdown on, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Rumble, Google, YouTube, everywhere. Man. You can find I'll me. look for you on the Twitter. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to probably put this out uh, either tonight or, or tomorrow. And uh, tomorrow, actually, I'll be in interviewing Saifedean Amis. So that is going to be a big one for me. I cannot wait. And this was, uh, couldn't have been a better sandwich between Richard Grove and Saifedean. I, I think my audience is going to be thrilled for this week. So thank you again, brother. Thank you so much and have a wonderful rest of your day. Peace. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?